Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Friday, September 9th, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast are Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. He's got some fun stories to tell about his Apple iPhone ordering experience in a few minutes. <laughs> Sean Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities and Times Guide, and Rob Peguero, who writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, and USA Today. Uh, gentlemen, how are you? We're in a post-IFA, post-Apple event um, mode today. But uh, how are each of you today before we begin the podcast? God save the king. Yeah. Something about that. I mean, she was a wonderful person. She said she really was a model for other world leaders. Um, and uh, she'll be missed. You know, interesting, interesting stuff. Um, John, how are you? Have you yes, survived? I'm here. I'm sorry. The, the Queen, I would watch the Queen's message in Canada every uh, Christmas and look forward to it. And uh, But on the other hand, off to a good start in the football pool. So that's <laughs> Rob, you're heading out to uh, the UK to attend her funeral in a few days. I, apparently the- uh, I am, in fact, heading across the Atlantic, but not to the UK, to Denmark, uh, speaking at a conference called, weirdly enough, Tech Barbecue in Copenhagen next week. Judging a bunch of pitching startups. Well, <laughs> so we're all. So it's always nice to be back in traveling. Uh, Rob and John uh, and I were at IFA uh, last week, which we're going to talk about for a few minutes. Stuart, you weren't there. Badge on that collection. No, my, my my back was aching in sympathy. <laughs> well, I can assure you, if you saw the hotel rooms that we were afforded. <laughs> I'm sorry. Way, how, much, how much did you pay for it? <laughs> yeah, don't complain if it's free. I got it. John, I said I got that. But they were comically small. I mean, there's a photo floating around on the internet somewhere with Stuart. I'm such not Stuart, not with you, with John. And the rest of the IFA press contingent that we normally travel with. And it was pretty funny. It was pretty, yeah. pretty funny. You know, but I blame you, Rob. That was your recommendation. <laughs> I didn't put him up to it. I actually fit reasonably well in my room. It helps that I'm short. And I guess I was on the fifth floor. Some of you are all on the sixth floor. Yeah. But um, having seen the pictures of where we'll be bunking down in Copenhagen, I think that will be a uh, space efficient, space space optimized room of its own. No. That was, that was, that was, and, and by the way, the, the, Stuart, the thing that you did not have to um, enjoy was, because um, I did a lot of video work and uh, among a lot of other people who were there, the upload uh, internet speeds in this hotel were, shall we say, slow. <laughs> I mean, it yeah, took me no hours problem. to upload. You know, a 15-minute video is unbelievable. But probably will not stay there again if I have a choice in the future. You know, even if I, even if the room good is neighborhood free. though, we were yes. in a good part of Berlin. No, I did like the neighborhood. I liked the, the, the convenience, the trains, and you know, hey, listen, Stuart's absolutely right. If it's free, you can't complain. But no. You can try. You can try to complain, but let 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 us get into our first topic, and that is uh, IFA. Now, Stuart, I'm sure you were reading some of the stuff that was coming online. You didn't yes. read any of this was coming online. Yes, you did. And um, let, let me just start with uh, John and get his general impressions. I mean, my general impressions before we do that is that hey, you know, 166,000 people apparently showed up. Kind of nice to see everybody back in um, you know outdoor, uh, you know, getting into the swing of things. 
and um, so I think that the show was a, was a success from that standpoint because that was a, a, a nice number for that show. And by the way, let me say also as well, the weather was fantastic. I mean, unlike the last couple of beefs where it's very humid in, in Berlin uh, in late uh, August, it was actually very, it was San Jose weather, you know, frankly. Yeah. It, it, 70 degrees. Isn't it 100 degrees in San Jose right now? I was just oh. going to say, you mean old San Jose weather. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and by the way, my power went out for eight hours the other day. I will not even talk about that. The day that I got back from IFA. But, John, let me get your general impressions of what the, the trade show and what you thought. I thought IFA did very well. I mean, I, th I think they really got it back on its feet pretty quickly. I was kind of surprised at how um, well the whole show went off. The weather certainly helps because, they're, you know, Qualcomm, well, I should say Snapdragon because they're trying to brand the Snapdragon, had an outdoor thing. Everything was it was perfect for all those kinds of events and positions. Uh, white goods, that, you know, consumer electronics uh, appliances were back. Full Force, Melee, all those companies were there on display, had all their latest um, kitchen countertops things, which I like because I like to cook. <laughs> and, yeah. and coffee. Aoife is all about coffee. Everywhere you go, coffee, yes. coffee, coffee. Good coffee. Oh, that like was good, great. And, very good coffee. Very good coffee. And, you know, LG obviously was had some big stuff for us um, on the display front, you know, a 97-inch OLED set and the Curve the monitor that would gaming monitor that would curve and then go flat again and some other ideas about aligning with your eyesight a motorized monitor for that so some interesting ideas there um nothing groundbreaking but just important that all these companies were back and on display and in full force i was i was pretty impressed actually at how well it went yeah yeah even samsung of course because they they have kind of cornered the market on on curved glass they had some really interesting um, curve monitor concepts. They had one concept in their booth, which it was a in, in uh, portrait mode. I, I want to say it was 43, maybe it was 49 inches, and it was really positioned for gaming, you know. But uh, you know, I could, you could I could easily see using that type of monitor in a um, in a productivity orientation. And of course, let's not leave out uh, Lenovo. They have the that that ThinkPad uh, X1 uh, Fold, which I think, from a usage model standpoint, it, it introduces some very interesting concepts. Uh, Rob, what were your thoughts? Anything that grabbed you in particular? So similar. Yeah, this was it didn't really hit me until, I guess, the, the first full day of walking around the show floor. This was the first time I'd gone to any sort of gadget electronic show and actually seen a full spectrum of, you know, what people think we want to buy since CS 2020. Because CS in January, you know, LG decided to pull out. So they had this sad little wireframe exhibit where you could scan QR codes, combine the worst parts of a virtual trade show and an in-person one. Uh, and, you know, Samsung, Panasonic had very minimal floor presences. So this one, I really felt like it was getting a look at the entirety of the industry and like most of it. Sony wasn't there. They did have IFA for the uninitiated. It takes place in the Berlin Mesa Fairgrounds, but there's like 30 different halls, some stacked on top of each other. And four of those were closed. So it was at least a little simpler, shorter to walk through. Uh, yeah, interesting. Other trends I'd call out, there was a lot of emphasis on energy efficiency since Europe has realized that uh, cheap Russian gas actually has a price of its own that is really obnoxious today these days. Um, you know, lots of interesting stuff uh, in uh, the smart home space. Samsung noted in their keynote, which some of you listening may regard this as more of a threat than a promise. But by the end of the by the end of 2023, 100 percent of their major appliances will be Wi-Fi connected. Yeah, I like that. I thought that was that's a good a good forward looking plan. Definitely, 
Even my coffee maker is Wi-Fi connected. So. As long as you can actually operate the dang thing without putting it on Wi-Fi. You know, no, my, I, I, my I, I, back surface is big enough already. No, I, I have a smart current coffee machine, which I never thought the connectivity piece would be that important. But it's really actually uh, pretty interesting because you can customize the uh, the robust flavor of the coffee. It obviously knows what type of coffee is in there from a barcode uh, standpoint. So actually, there are some advantages to having a smart uh, coffee machine. Stuart, uh, from a virtual standpoint, this is you were watching and from afar while we were trapped in very tiny hotel rooms. Um, <laughs> what, 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 what did you think? Anything jumped well, at you? Well, I'll tell you, I, the reason that I, I, I didn't go, not only for a health concern, um, not COVID, but my back, um, but um, I work for sort of a rival publication, IFA and CES have chosen sides. And unfortunately, I'm on the CES side of things. But overall, seeing and hearing how successful the show was does bode well for CES 2023. I think if the international community was very happy to attend, go to Berlin, I think going to Las Vegas is not that big of a leap. And having spoken to the CTA people over the last couple of weeks, they are expecting not 176,000 people, which is what they got in 2020, but they're creeping up to 150,000, which is an impressive number considering what we're coming out of. Now, of course, it's helped that Nevada has, shall we say, looser restrictions than, say, New York or California. But I think a successful IFA with almost full participation and almost full attendance, I think bodes well for CES 2023. No, I think that's a great, great point, uh, Stuart, because from a leading indicator standpoint, had the attendance been really low, like 100, under 100,000 uh, people, I'm sure the, uh, the CES folks would be really a bit nervous, you know, frankly, about, hey, we're going to get a big crowd. But I think, uh, I think you're right, you know. What was interesting, and I want to get, I think, Bob, you were next, you were next to me during that keynote. You had to be, you had to, I know you were in love with that uh, Huawei. <laughs> yes. And, and the only reason why I bring it up, it's like two years in a row now, uh, and I know you did a piece on this recently, but yep. I just don't get these guys. You know, it's almost like, well, I do get these guys because they're, they are operating in a reality distortion field, which is, I think, is one of the comments you made um, in your piece. But are they are that they are they that oblivious? I mean, because so this was a really weird keynote to see the CEO of Huawei's Western Europe, Western European consumer business came out. It, it was not like a keynote. He was interviewed on stage by an analyst. Yes. So there was a right. little bit of pushback. But but this guy, Lin uh, Tian, he was just all sunshine and rainbows, even though by every objective number, Huawei's phone business especially is in horrible shape. It is really cratered because they don't have access to, you know, they, they can use the Android open source platform. But all the services that make Android, Android, like the Play Store, the Gmail app, Google Maps, they don't have. And he was saying, no, we're great. We're, uh, you know, we... we we have our own alternative app store. I took a look at it on the show floor. The Huawei app gallery is a really good way to get your phone hacked. Because if you do a search <laughs> for an app that isn't in it, of which a great many are not, like uh, there's a, some, some social network called Facebook. I hear it's pretty popular. Instagram, Twitter. It will point you to some third-party site that has hosted a copy of the APK uh, file, the actual file you download to an Android phone, but you can then sideload, which... You know, you show that to any security professional, they will either scream or vomit or maybe both because that's the last thing you should do. And this guy was saying, no, it's good. If, if we don't have the app, we can get it for you elsewhere. 
Absolutely not. And, uh, you know, suggesting that uh, privacy is a top priority, which, remember, all this started because under the prior administration, but not just the prior administration, a lot of people were saying, like, look, this is a company that, you know, if you're a tech company in China, the government doesn't have to ask for your data. They can basically just take it. So you should really be mindful of that. You know, it's a good reason, like, you know, WeChat, I know it's necessary to do business in China, but I don't have it on my phone. And uh, I hope none of you do either. Well, you know, so you know just, what you're talking about? No just the fact that their business has gone so badly, like the actual founder of Huawei sent out a company-wide memo, like saying, look, for the next few years, our priority has to be survival. Right. Uh, so... But, you, but, you, but Rob, you would not know that from some of the slides that yeah. were presented because there was no one slide that that at all. In there. Well, the one slide that really bothered me because it was the, it's the personification of misinformation was they showed, instead of showing, you know, they can't show revenue growth year over year, they show, they, they had a metric in there, brand amplification or brand, brand value. value. Yes, $71 yeah. billion. Dollars. Right. My and, personal brand value, by the way, is at least $5. In, I, in an American context, I can't imagine you going to your manager saying, you know, my personal sales went down 70% last year, but my awareness with my customers went up 80%. I mean, I, I just don't get I mean, to me, I just laugh. Yeah. And that's only because you made the FBI's most wanted list. <laughs> Could be. Um, John, anything else jumped out about you about, uh, you know, let me just throw one thing in here before I, John, get you to comment. You know what was interesting, and I made this observation a few times to some of the uh, entities that I met with, is that at CES earlier in the year, uh, the Matter Smart Home Connect, you know, Interoperability Initiative was everywhere. You couldn't go to a booth. You couldn't go to a device where you didn't see that Matter logo. Of course, there's no Matter devices have shown up yet. That hopefully will happen very quickly. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the, the, um, uh, the CSA has done a really nice job who oversees the, the, the matter interoperability standard. It's done a nice job of promoting it. There was very little discussion about matter um, at, um, at uh, uh, IFA, which kind of surprised me from an awareness standpoint. And in fact, there was a fascinating demo that I got with, with this Home Connectivity Alliance, which is a similar type of standard that doesn't compete with matter but it's focused on interoperability and, and um, with um, appliances, you know, so, which I thought was really interesting. But just I thought it was fascinating that there really wasn't a lot of um, awareness with matter, which really kind of surprised me because, you know, the smart home folks are really depending on that to come together to really, you know, expand the smart home footprint. Did into you get the a shout out in the slide at Samsung's presser or did, did it not even get that? Uh, uh, they did. They yeah. did. They okay. did, but it was certainly, but it wasn't the most prominent, you know, piece. You know, it was probably 45, 40 minutes into the presentation, if I recall. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, it's, well, not, it's, not a surprise, it's not a surprise that the Home Connectivity Alliance is big at IFA because that's a Bosch initiative. Yes. And it was introduced at IFA about four or five years ago. Yeah. Well, and they had right. some, they're supporting a lot of major brands, Stuart. I mean, they got a lot of guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bosch has a lot of pull, and they got a lot of people involved by keeping sort of in the background. But uh, but they recognized the need for that early on, and everybody else did as well. Uh, John, any last closing comments before we flip to our next fun topic? I think the, the most interesting thing to me was, well, I mean, about that connectivity, you don't need that stuff when you've got Alexa and Google Assistant. I mean, it makes it a much harder argument these days. 
to get that standard. But what I thought just in general, you know, uh, micro LED has not moved very much in the last couple of years as a technology and we expected it to come along. And also there was a lot more movement in home appliances where after, you know, years of pandemic and, and like, well, people are using their appliances a lot more. There was much more technology, I would say, built into appliances in the last two years than there had been in the past five or six. So there's a renewed focus on that. And appliances like the one I'm, I'm going to be writing about, which is like a microwave, air fryer, steam fryer, oven, convection oven, all in one device, things like that, that, that uh, will change. So I, I think there was a lot of movement in appliances. Unfortunately, that's something you won't really see at CES, but um, but I think Stuart's right too. So far, you know, fingers crossed, IFA's success bodes well for CES. What, what was that skit on SNL years ago with Dan Aykroyd, the Wedgematic or someone? Oh, Bassomatic. That's a great pass, honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's head to our next uh, uh, topic here, and that is. You know, hey, you know, Apple had their big day on Wednesday. They announced new iPhones, uh, new AirPods, um, new Apple Watches. That's, of course, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But I got to start the podcast because I don't want to run out of energy. Um, you know, Stuart, you know, you uh, faithfully tried to get on and log Far on. Buy an iPhone. You're doing this for work, right? Please tell me you're doing this for work. <laughs> I'm doing it for work. Well, and, and, and Stuart, before you jump in, you know, I tried to do it. I woke up at you know, 5 a.m. Pacific time uh, because I wanted to see if I can get one next Friday when they become released, which I typically do. And, uh, you know, it took me about eight minutes to get in. And finally, when I refreshed my screen and I had already kind of prepped, you know, they have a process where you can kind of prep your, you know, your trade in and get all the stuff eat, um, done. And you're simply just clicking to confirm payment. And it took me eight minutes to get in, and on, I got a ship date of already September 28th, which was shocking, you know, nine or ten minutes into the um, uh, into the uh, their ability to take order uh, take orders. Maybe it's not so shocking, but it seems to happen every time. And I suspect what will happen, since it seems like the, the, the Apple Store and their online process was overloaded, my guess is some of those orders will be pulled in, you know, after they kind of sort out all the data. But, Stuart, tell us about your adventure. <laughs> well, I also got up at your time, 5 a.m., my time, 8 a.m., but the funny thing was usually when they say the pre-sale starts on X day, it's usually midnight Pacific time. So I'm used to being on the phone with either Apple or T-Mobile at 3 a.m. New York time, and so I'm usually up at that hour anyway. And I go on it, and no, it's going to be 8 a.m. So now I got to go to bed and then set the alarm to get up at 8, get up at 8. I'm on the phone with them for about 45 minutes, and she kept apologizing for that they're being overloaded. I'm talking about T-Mobile now. And they said they called me back, and they called me back about three hours later, and then that's what made me late to our little uh, uh, confab here today. Um, and it's like, I go through this every time I get a new iPhone. It used to be every year. Now it's every other year just to keep up for work. Um, <laughs> but it never ceases to amaze me that the carriers in Apple are never prepared for the for the volume. And this knocks me out. The iPhone has been around for 15 years. How have they not figured out that there's going to be a huge volume of orders when it goes on pre-sale? It never ceases to amaze me. Well, it's, we're a little surprised at the volume. How? It's, it's part of the experience. 
it's part of experience. That's a that's Guys, the conspiratorial part of me says, do they do that in part by design because they want to create this perception of incredible demand? Now, I could be wrong that's about that. But it's like camping out for rolling stones. Is, is disgruntled customers. <laughs> but but for, speaking from a totally objective point of view, the fact that it was even worse than usual this time perhaps bodes well, given the economy and everything else, that the sales will reach. I mean, Apple was the only gotten the only company that I know of that had a relatively seamless production process where everybody was having all sorts of supply chain problems. And the predictions that I had been monitoring for the last couple of months was that Apple was expecting to at least equal the sales of the iPhone 13. Um, um, I know that, for instance, Samsung had downgraded their expectations to about 30 million total units for the year for all of their phones. And iPhone is saying, or Apple is saying, we think we're pretty much on target. And that's analysts seem to agree. So maybe given the open, the surprise volume that, and this, and the date slip so quick, so soon date slippages on shipping, uh, that maybe they're right. That maybe that Apple will be the outlier in the smartphone business this year. I guess we'll I, we'll find out soon enough. Well, my, my guess is I just I think I saw a story this morning that the dates on the baseline iPhone 14, uh, you can still get them fairly quickly. You know, within a couple of weeks, it's the the, the Pro models and the Max models, which is where the, the Pro models are just so much better. I was when I was watching the um, the, the presentation, I'm going, why would anybody want a non-Pro model? It, 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 I just it, it, the only reason to get them is for the OLED. If you always got the entry level phones. The new, the new plot, the new, um, the non pros, the, the entry level 14s now have that OLED screen, which is a huge step up if you're in the sunnier climbs. My wife has the the 12, just the plain 12, and it's impossible to see the screen during the daytime. So that may be the, the reason to step up for that, but otherwise, the pro just has such a, a four times better camera and it has that SOS satellite thing, and um. Yeah, so I want, I, want, I want Rob to comment on the satellite. I call it the Tom Hanks feature. You know, you, you'll, you'll never get stranded on an island for it. But, um, you know, and by the way, that capability is available on the 14 as well. That might be a good reason, to get, even if you don't, you know, need the, the camera capability. I thought it was only on the pro models. Nope. nope. Is satellite available on both ends? It's on the 14. Yeah. It's on the 14. Okay. Yeah, it's a baseline feature now, you know, and... So, Rob, what was your thought to Tom Hanks? First of all, I got to call out how much of the uh, Apple presentation was basically, if you don't buy your stuff, you're going to die. Uh, It was a lot of like, it was like, well, for a while, I'm like, am I watching local TV news? Because this is all about the horrible things that can happen to me and how, you know, when your car gets smashed into bits and you have the airbag in front of your face, at least your iPhone will call for help. Uh, And then you have this whole thing where, Let's be realistic. Being in some wilderness area with no means of contact is is the very most corner of corner cases. So I'm glad they're doing this. For certain people, it's going to be really handy. For other people, it's not, you know, it's interesting in a technological sense. Like, I want to know what satellites they're using, uh, you know, how it works, how good the coverage is. Uh, fascinating. And, and there are other companies trying to do this, obviously, T-Mobile and SpaceX have that announcement where they plan to make it available on any old phone. Right. But 
SpaceX has to launch a bunch of new satellites. There's a company called Link, L-Y-N-K, for, to save you all a lot of searching. It's based a short distance from me in Falls Church, where they're also aiming to use satellites as a cell tower in the sky. There's lots of people working on it, but of course, Apple, being Apple, has gotten a whole lot of attention. Uh, one thing that was not spelled out in the event or in the press release or in the fine print at the bottom of the press release, they're saying you're going to have two free years of this. They're not saying what it will cost after that. And I think, uh, not to be ghoulish, but inevitably we're going to find a story of someone whose dried out corpse will be found clutching an iPhone that had been in service for two years and five days and they forgot to renew the service. So I think they're going to have to make it free because I can't imagine it costs that much to operate. Uh, otherwise, the, yeah, there's not, potential not, for real PR publicity resulting from the two years and five days, not worth the price of admission. Well, yeah. I agree. I agree with that observation, Rob, because the moment that, first of all, the, the first person that this feature saves, Apple will be running commercials all day long. Look what That's this the, they let off. Doing. All these people testifying their, their Apple, Tim, dear Tim Cook, your device saved my life. I will buy well, your products forever and you, ever. You, you don't want a story says of the relatives of the guy who died in the desert because yeah. he didn't have his credit card loaded. To, uh, <laughs> 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 Come on. That would he was be trying to text the credit card via the satellite, and then the service expired. But, John, let me turn over the, the, the camera functionality. I mean, I was very impressed, though, with some of the camera stuff. You've got 48 megapixels now. Um, and, by the way, there's also, I think, that thematically, I think Apple now is recognizing the front camera and the back camera are almost of equal weight. You know, the, 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 um, the, the, the selfie camera, the camera on the screen, typically has gotten, you know, not as much capability and functionality because, oh, it's for selfies. But now they seem to be thinking that the, from a robustness standpoint, uh, that the camera really has to be of equal capability, which I thought was interesting. There's also a video stabilizer feature, which I thought was nice. If you're chasing, John, if you're chasing Rob down the road and the next, you know, you can, you need a gimbal to do Following that. Me through the halls of CES. Yes. Yes. Like a, re a, rea a reality IFA uh, uh, podcast. But were you impressed with the camera Worst stuff? reality show ever. I mean, it could, it, it definitely, you know, it's a presentation, so it's hard to tell unless we test it and stuff. The low light capabilities of the of the camera looked uh, improved, definitely improved. Um, definitely a weakness um, of the cameras before. And you're right about that front-facing camera. Um, it, you know, just the influencer market alone in the selfie market. I mean, since so many images are taken with that front-facing camera, or, you know, it, it should be a better camera. So that that's definitely a help. In other ways, it's kind of a catch up, though, in, in terms of what other phones offer. So it's not it's hard to see a major improvement. The uh, always difficult to eliminate um, vibration or, you know, shaky motion without it being optical or digital and how they do it and how much resolution is lost. And they're saying, well, we'll just take the center pixels is how we're doing it. Uh, that remains to be seen, you know, maybe people ditched me at the Withings party in Berlin. So I was chasing after people down the street that might help. <laughs> but um, other than that, you know, I don't know how well these phones are going to do. There's no major, you know, I think people have noticed there wasn't a major hullabaloo about this Apple event. There wasn't a lot of coverage of it. Uh, you know, not a lot going on with the phone. And I, and I, as I keep saying here on this, on this program, 
you know, the phone is kind of over and we're kind of searching around for a new function to bring people on, but pretty much everybody has one and nothing really major is happening with smartphones and it's hard to see any new technology coming along that will make a major change. The satellite phone is, 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 is helpful. Hello, Iridium. But uh, <laughs> from way back when, we're all showing, uh, right? you know, I wish it would come on all the time because a lot of parts of the country, we don't have cell towers and everybody forgets that. So you're driving along and nothing. So that would help to use it on a more regular basis. But to Ross point, it's wicked expensive. And which is why cell phones didn't work before they were so expensive. But what did you guys think of the watch? The watch. The, the, well, the, I, I, I want to bring that up. I want to give Stuart to a uh, chance to opine on that because I think you know. Again, there was all kinds of rumors that they were going to do some crazy stuff with 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 watches. They did come out with it with what I think is an extreme sports watch, uh, the ultra version. Um, if you're a dot, it, to me, it's a it's a corner case type of watch. You know, because you can use, it's it's much larger because it can act as a dive computer. You know, I've never went scuba diving in my life, so I'm not a customer for that um, for that watch. Uh, but but um, but that's kind of niche. It's almost like they're bifurcating the watch category because they they know they can those people who engage in those type of sports presumably can spend more money. So that to me that was a bit of a margin and revenue play for that. Uh, they did add a temperature sensor to the baseline uh, Series Eight. So there's things like uh, ovulation tracking, which doesn't appeal to us. Well, I guess. You would maybe if you are, are married and you want to uh, avoid surprises or encourage family planning. Uh, so that was, I think, a, an interesting feature. But, um, you know, to me, and, and so I want you to jump in in a second, Apple seems to be steering away from the, if you look at the initial launch of the Apple Watch, it was all, it was Jonathan, Jonathan Ivey special. It was all about beauty and grace. And, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it, this is going to be a classic, elegant piece on your wrist. And now... Not that Apple's not concerned about that anymore, but it really is a wearable device for managing your digital health and exercise. You know, they've kind of moved pretty dramatically in that direction. So, Stuart, what did you think? Well, I thought what you had just talked about, the fertility ovulation feature, now gave every woman of childbearing age a reason to buy an Apple Watch. Now, whether I don't know what the demographic split was um, previous to this, um, on the watch between male and female. Um, but, you know, um, given all the news around women's reproductive health, uh, I think it's a very clever thing for them, for Apple to, uh, a niche market for Apple to, I shouldn't say niche market, that's stupid. Um, a market to, saying, and I don't know that anybody else has, given the publicity around the topic these days. But overall, that's not surprising either because the Watch Ultra and a lot of the features on the new iPhone are all very <clears throat> targeted, shall we say, demographic targeted, as opposed to what Apple had been doing before this, which is more mass market, general um, general market kinds of, of approaches. So the fact that they are targeting specific demographics with their products indicates that they've run out of mainstream stuff, as, as, as John noted, that there isn't a whole lot more that you can add for a general audience that they have to start targeting specific demographics to, to lure more and new customers in. John? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Although um, there are two concerns I had about it. One was... I know a lot of people talked about the ultra watches being this kind of for, I think the my colleagues at the New York times had said it was for, you know, ultra marathoners. Like, no, it's not. It's for me. It's for guys. 
I would use it now has features that the I the you know Apple Watch didn't have before, which is why I wouldn't have it. Now it seems more like the guy's watch that uses that stuff. It's tougher, it's more indestructible, things like that that they should have done a long time ago when trying to come after the Garmin market, which is why I wear like a Sunto or a Garmin and I never wear an iWatch. That's just not a right. thing for me. Um, but the ovulation thing, the privacy issues and the legal issues that that raises scare the living daylights out of me. Well, they so they address that. They address that, John. Yeah, they, but they, I, they, I addressed they the anti-encryption very heavily, yeah. knowing that many of their customers live in states that are more, shall we say, theocratically ruled. Yeah, <clears throat> may still. Uh, that uh, yeah, because if you, you may want to know the, these factors you may very much not want your state government to know. Right. right. And, the, but you know, I, I'm always skeptical about, you know, about anything like that. And given the, 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 the legal, what do they call it? Legal uh, exposure or whatever. For Apple to hand over, you know, there's, there's obvious, I mean, if you want to con concoct nightmare scenarios, there, there are lots of ways a state <laughs> might decide to surveil its citizens that don't require, don't rely on getting data off a device on your wrist. Right. I just, in Berlin, right. I mean, right. And that, and that, that should make you think, you know, we say it's encrypted if we say this, but given the, the, the legal peril, that's the word I was looking for. But, but, but you know, John, peril, John, in, all yeah. fairness, in all fairness, I mean, Apple kind of crossed that Rubicon when they decided to do, get into the digital health space. I mean, we're talking about, of course, you know, something that's very personal right. to women and to, to families, but you could extend that argument to everything that Apple does, you know, from a, from a, from a health standpoint. So right. I agree that's with you, you know, that there there's, I, but I think they, they're going into this with their eyes open. They realize that, you know, that, that well, one let's the bigger private vulnerability is someone who has their, their health data encrypted on their, their Apple watch uh, sees that they're pregnant, then text somebody to say that, right. forgetting that that somebody is on Android and it's unencrypted because yeah. Android thinks, Apple thinks that uh, if, if you really want encrypted messaging, you should use WhatsApp or just buy. That was what Tim Cook said at that conference. Somebody was, uh, the code conference, somebody was complaining like, when I text my mom, all these things don't work. And he said, buy your mom an iPhone, which it's kind of a jackass thing to say. Maybe mom has decided well, for her own reasons she likes Android. But and yeah, we've got a minute left here, and that's that's that was not discussed at uh, at uh, the Apple event that came up during that Recode um, conference a couple of days ago. And I was, I actually did some tweeting on that topic because I was shocked. That was to me one of the more and, and Tim Cook is not an arrogant guy, but yeah. that seemed to be a very arrogant response because about this that it, there's legitimate reasons why. RCS would be a nice thing for Apple to get behind, you know? Yeah. But the, the other thing that, that people like that forget stupidly, there's this thing called screen capture and there's a bounty on this stuff. So, right. you know, you don't need, you can encrypt it all you want, but if somebody screen captures something and decides to send that in for the $20,000 reward, you're cooked. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to wrap this up because, uh, uh, we're almost out of time here, but I'm glad to be back here. Um, and the guys, um, again, thank you for um, all your time. Let me pull up my little closing comment slide. Uh, guys, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe button buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter 
at Mark Vina Tech Guy. Until, and until next time, have a great week. And Stuart, I hope you sort out your uh, iPhone 14 order wallet. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> it's for work! <laughs> <laughs>